So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Mm. That is a delightful beer we're drinking today, Michael. What's it called? Today we're drinking a Stevens Pale Ale from Hellbent Brewing Company, which I think is named after the dog we often see on our trip to the brewery. I believe so. He's at least definitely on the can. If not, it might be named after uh, Lake Stevens or Stevens Pass or who knows. <laughs> Shout out to Steven the dog. Yes. Um, today we're talking about some Abbas Kiristami films, uh, certified copy, close up, the wind will carry us. Just a, a quick overview, Michael. What did you, uh, what did you think of your experiences with Abbas Kiristami this past week? I had a great time. I enjoyed all three of these movies. What about yourself? Yeah, he's a pontificus son of a bitch, but I really, really like his stuff and I'm going to have a conversation with you that I'm not done digesting in my own head yet so i'm i'm glad we we watched these and i i'm going to recommend every title um that we cover here today to all listeners but first as always we have first impressions you want to tell them what we have first first up we have waiting for the barbarians from Ciro Wera, as well as the book of vision uh by carlos hinterman Produced by Terrence Malick. What are we doing first? Let's start with Waiting for the Barbarians. You are an obscene torture. We have set procedures. Ready to go. You've been treasonously consulting with the enemy. Get out! I want these people out of here! We will end these troubles. We will put down the enemy. And that will be the end of it. All right, we just watched the trailer for Waiting for the Barbarians from Ciro Wera. What is your first impression? This is exactly my type of movie. This is a movie I've been waiting for for a year. It stars Mark Rylance, it has Robert Pattinson, it has Johnny Depp. Um, I don't know her name, but I recognized the, uh, the Asian actress here, um, mm. who had been, um, accosted in the trailer. This is, uh, you know, in the vein of Hidalgo and, and those great, like, period desert films that I, I just have a soft spot for. Um, I understand that it's getting a very mixed review coming out of Burnley Nail and being reviewed over in Europe, but, um... I put all qualms aside, and I'm I'm pretty comfortable saying that I'll probably be one of the most positive people on this movie. How about you? Uh, well, it's the second Ciro Wera film that I imagine we will discuss on the podcast after, um, oh, why am I blanking on the name of it now? It was Shakespearean. It was set in South America. Birds of Passage? Yes. There it is. Um, 
which we both liked, I think. Yes, very much. Yeah. Um, that was I think, a surrealist film. I, I'm not yeah, getting the same surrealism here. Definitely not. This feels maybe a little bit more, like, literary to me. Um, I'm a little more mixed on it um, than I think I was in anticipation of Birds of Passage. Um, feels just a little more prestige to me. Um, and... I'm 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 kind of on the fence about Johnny Depp in general. I like Robert Pattinson and Mark Rylance, but this this does seem like a little bit more of a scenery chewing kind of movie for, for I'm the on actors. On the fence with him as a performer or just his projects? Um, both. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know that I have. Uh, so ever later really been later this year we'll fan. do a, a five hour episode called the debate of Johnny Depp's. Oh, wow. <laughs> Acting credentials. That would be the longest episode ever <laughs> dedicated to a former, no less. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe something. I, I, I hope this isn't. Uh, I hope it isn't hammy in, in, in the acting, I guess. But um, yes, yeah, I'm still interested enough to check it out, I, I, I think. Especially when uh, these pickings are slim for new releases. Yeah, I, so. I think by comparison, this is one of the better looking new releases at, at bare sure. minimum. Um, on to. The Book of Vision. They're not lost. I don't know what you're getting yourself into. Tell my story and the story of the dead. Give us this soul that we deserve. Give credence to that evil woman. He started writing down her visions. Death is only a veil of smoke. All you have to do is stretch your hand through it. And you will find the ones you love. How can we be sure that our actions are not within our nature? Only when we travel two opposite paths at once. Michael, that was the trailer for the book of law or the book of vision. What do you think? I'm intrigued. Um, I don't know that the subject matter is quite as much in my wheelhouse as I thought it was going to be. I didn't realize that there was quite so much of a fantasy component to it. Um, we see like, uh, trees coming to life and, and that kind of thing. Um, some fantasy looking creatures, uh, some of that, the craft looks strong. I think it looks pretty cool. Subject matter is just not like my favorite kind of thing. Um, you already mentioned it was produced, executive produced by Malik, one of uh-huh. the two. Um, kind of sounds like a Malik movie to me, as much as it kind of has that uh, style of cinematography. Just that rising score really sounds like a Malik movie to me. I think you kind of feel the fingerprints, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I think it looks strong, maybe just not totally to my taste what about you yeah i'm it looks like b-grade malik um Mm. that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's definitely not exciting it visually looks pretty um like formally accomplished it looks interesting visually i do worry about the melodrama that i'm picking up on the undercurrent and trying to use melodrama to make me um, care about a narrative that is magical while trying to integrate itself into being a real film. Um, there's very few movies that 
try to pretend to exist within reality while pulling off having magic or whatever without going to melodrama and succeeding. So I'm I'm a little bit uh, wary of this project. I, I think I will watch it, but it's by no means on my priority list for the year. Yeah, it does feel like the trailer is maybe coming at you a little bit hard and trying to move you or wow you or something like that, which always makes me pull back a little bit. But, yes. Um, that is what trailers are kind of supposed to do. So the, I can the period them. piece cinematography seems decent. I, I liked that scene where the uh, the hands and the heads were emerging out of the water to to carry her across. But um, very worried about the melodrama. Mm-hmm. On to certified copy. You drink it. She mistook you for my husband. I didn't correct her. Really? Obviously, we make a good couple. What do you think? So Certified Copy, Michael, this is the film that proves that Juliette Binoche is actually the greatest actress that's ever lived, right? It's confirmed. Yeah, it's, it's quite the, the role she it's has, sealed. speaking three languages, looking directly into the camera, having emotional breakdowns, and crying on command effortlessly. What mm. a movie. It's quite a movie. It did make me think, you know, this was on plenty of best of the decade lists. We're obviously seeing it way after all those lists had been made. It did make me think about uh, her having been overlooked as one of the actresses of the decade. I think about this film. I think about something like Clouds of Sills Maria. Um, wasn't crazy about High Life, but I really liked her in that one. Um, she's pretty good. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, I think the danger there is like, Greatest actress almost always tends to go to greatest American actress. Oh, for sure. So if you gave me two categories, I think she might headline my international actress. I'd have to check the math and like make sure that I'm not going to give it to Claire Foy or uh, hmm. anything like that. Um, who whoever played the queen in um, the favorite, you know, I really like her hmm. as well. Hmm. But she she'd probably be near the top of my list for international actress, but. I mean, Natalie Portman, Scarlett Johansson, they had some pretty solid decades. But. Yeah. Um, of the three Kiristami movies we're talking about today, this is definitely one the one where the performances are central to the appeal of the movie to me. Um, less so. That's I think that's the case less so with the other two. Yeah. And I think this is also the most different of the three films we're going to cover today. Mm-hmm. And I... I I mean, obviously, these are my first introductions to Kiristami outside 24 Frames. I don't know much about him, but does he have a project in which an Iranian, Persian, Middle Eastern woman plays a lead? Um, not that I have seen. No, I don't think so. Because that's, that's the most kind of moving and jarring thing here is the emotionality that this, this film is allowed to breathe mm. because he has a female lead performer here um and i i'm kind of you know like i desire to see a a 
film from him in the setting of Iran or mm. Iraq or somewhere in the Middle East where he's telling me the story of a, of a woman there. Um, this it's this deeply emotional, um, but we don't have that. So we do mm. have certified copy. Yeah, it's a fair point. I hadn't really thought about that. He, he maybe is maybe a little male centric. The only two other ones I've seen are Taste of Cherry and well, Where I, Is My I, Friend's House and those. It's a I boy and a man. I genuinely don't think it's like an active thing. Sure, it's just yeah, like yeah. a I wish thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, of the three, this felt the most kind of contraption like to me. I don't really like the phrase puzzle box, but it kind of came to mind. I, I don't like that because mm. it kind of implies that there is a right answer or that it is solvable in some way. And if it is, I certainly failed in that regard. But um, I do think Yeah, to it's, me, this uh, is like a cardboard puzzle box at a tavern mm. that's missing at least three pieces. But, like, you can put it together enough to figure out, like, what it kind of looks like, but you'll never really know. Yeah. Um, it definitely feels a, like a movie to me of two halves with a clear kind of turning point to it. Um, is that how you kind of see it on the whole as well or not so much? I believe I agree with you. However, we might differ with where that claim comes in. I would say that happens during the... Uh, the phone conversation where they order coffee and he goes out on a cell phone. Oh, that's, for sure. I'm that's with where you there. It, it changes for me. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I, I, I mean, just leading up into that, I had no idea what I was watching. And after that, all that happened was my heartbreaking. Oh, interesting. So, uh, did this, that's, so it, yeah, it, it uh, it, there was something sad in what ultimately happened. Oh, here. it's a deeply sad film, 100%, because she, right, like, she has to, she has to go take her own phone call. You assume that he's speaking on the phone to his own wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she has to go speak to their child. Mm-hmm. And then she tries to get him when he leaves the cafe to, t- to listen to what, his son is doing to his mother, which is her. And mm. he refuses to like acknowledge the situation, which is just the beginning of like me feeling emotional. And then it, it just carries on and carries on and carries on and carries on. Yeah. It's easily like one of the most fascinating turning points in a movie I can think of just, just because of how we segue into this second half where, um, our, our our perception of how these characters uh, know each other, or if they do, and what ex- how, what exactly this relationship is, is totally reconfigured, and um, it's just fascinating all the way through, even if it is just kind of puzzling. Yeah. Um, so I I have two keywords that are joined together that describe not only this film but all his films for me. I'm just mm-hmm. going to introduce it: mm-hmm. pensive, mm-hmm. allegory. Mm-hmm allegory that's everything to me is just a pensive allegory with him Mm. right like that ending that 25th frame if you will Mm -hmm. um the wedding bell is chiming or tolling right Mm -hmm. but within the context of the film that we're watching it's for whom the bell tolls which is a totally Mm. different interpretation Mm. but there's a few different things happening there which is kind of like the substance of the film itself, which is happening in multiple languages. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's three different things happening, right? Like the, the bell is telling the time the bell mm-hmm. is, is chiming for a wedding and the bell is like ringing the death now for the relationship that we're witnessing. And um, I think that's true as we, we move through all of his films. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, chin stroking is uh, the phrase that kind of came to mind watching all of these movies uh, just because of how they get the wheels of your mind uh, turning. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that's a fair characterization. Um, I, I, I kind of thought about just performance as a motif across all all three of these and um i think there are some other similarities we'll we'll save for the other movies um yeah this idea that they become kind of more performative in the second half um initially you know they're they're strangers to each other and then they seem to become this couple um was sort of um interesting because you're right there is it is sad and that you're watching this couple who clearly um is an unhappy couple but there's this kind of comedy to me in the unoriginality of their problems they're talking about the things that are kind of cliches when you think about marital issues. oh it's, it's definitely cliche 100 yeah, through um, and through um but I, I think that just kind of speaks to this idea of um kind of originality in life and the fact that like all of our problems are always kind of exactly the same from one couple to a next, but that doesn't make them any less meaningful or valuable. And I think that's kind of the point of the first half too, is that these copies of one work of art, um, you know, can be just as meaningful as the original. Um, so it is uh, this, this kind of dry comedy that I think works, you know, along with this very real sadness that you already called out. Yeah. Yeah, that's there's a lot there, and I'm just gonna completely pivot. Do it and say, Juliette Binoche is unlike anything that I've seen in all three of the his films, including this film. She is entirely different than the other, the substance of the other two films, and everything besides her within this film, Certified Copy, is nothing like her. Like, th- this is the most, I think, unique pairing of a performer and a director within Kiristami's um, oeuvre that I've seen so far. Um, and w- what I'm seeing from the lead actor here is the same thing that I'm seeing in Close Up, the same thing I'm seeing in The Wind Will Carry Us. Not a bad thing. I think it's really, really good, honestly, be- because it it's like documentary almost it's extreme genuine acting where i just believe that this guy's this guy whereas i know juliette binoche isn't who she is but that doesn't Mm. move me any less it it for me was like watching natalie portman be jackie kennedy Mm. it was that good yeah i I think there's just way more range to what she's doing here relative to uh, you know anything we get in from the guy in the wind will rises or the close-up is kind of a don't think because that's partly documentary but yeah it really is um kind of off on its own tier Mm -hmm. i think that's fair okay i'm I'm glad we agree yeah um do you have any um anything i i know that this is the lowest rated film from you of curious tommy i actually ended up rating them all the same i had close up out of five then i took it down because it just felt arbitrary did you all at four and a half just because i just couldn't decide as i was sort of thinking about what to talk about i was like i really appreciate all these roughly the same i just am responding to them in different ways and they just kind of mean different things so it just felt arbitrary to give one a different rating yeah Um, halfway through the wind will carry us i was like yeah this is like a four and then at mm. the end i was like 
Yeah, I can't define this. It, I guess it's a five two. <laughs> yeah, um, and on retrospective close up, like I, I feel insincere rating it. Mm. I don't feel like it's perfect, and I don't know how to grade it. Yeah, because it's it's like a it's a it's a poem about the complexities almost of directing from mm. a director using a different director as his outlet to explain those difficulties within the culture that he's in as well. There's just too much going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, my experience with this film certified copy kind of like flipped at some point after I had watched it, was thinking about it where at first on like, while I was watching it, I was much more puzzled by the second half just because it's such a you know sudden shift, obviously. And it just kind of perplexes you. And then it was only kind of like after thinking about it that I started to kind of make sense or at least get something, some ideas out of that second half, some of what I was already talking about. Oh, yeah, about. one quarter um, of the way in, I paused that movie and I read the synopsis because I was like, I'm missing something. And then I basically just read that I have no idea what's going on. Neither does anyone else. Just watch it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty much. Um but there are like lines of dialogue in the first half that like I still just cannot really make sense of. There's even just the way some of those first moments are shot between the son and Juliette Binoche during the book talk where there's kind of this significance to the way the son is looking at her. Um, there is the talk about Juliette Binoche's character's sister. Like I just in no way can really articulate how that fits into the broader like structure of the thing there's that line where the guy says you know my original is at your sister's house i'm her husband and i'm just at a loss to articulate what he's getting at kiristami is getting at with some of these mechanics um but i do think there is just some kind of confidence in the execution that makes the ambiguity really work and rather than just kind of impenetrable like i could see this going really sideways and just be becoming kind of an eye-rolling exercise in the wrong hands and i don't feel that way even though i can't explain a lot of it yeah i i agree with that last part a lot the i can't explain a lot of it Mm -hmm. my deepest conspiracy theories in engaging with this film are that her sister is who's married to him Mm, and that her sister is who's watching the kid Okay, okay. So, they're both talking to the same person on the cell phone with different conversations. Um, Mm. I'm pretty sure that's wrong. Mm. But also, it's possible. Mm. (laughs) And I can't get that out of my head. Yeah, I could see that. Um, It did feel to me like we were watching this one particular couple, one relationship over a span of time that was much larger than the film actually is. Like it feels mm-hmm. like that turning point is almost like this time jump. And we have sort of seen this couple meet where and when is sort of confusing, but then we've jumped forward somehow. And we've now reached this point where they're unhappy in their relationship. Um, something about him having kind of compressed this relationship into um, something much tighter than it really is and kind of having toyed with the shape of it to just reveal certain things about it is just you know unlike anything else yeah Um, well i mean we're in agreement that this is a long-running affair and that she's the mistress quote-unquote right mm. 
We can agree on that, the right? The mistress. Um, <laughs> like, not a wife? Do you mean, like, a literal mistress? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know that I saw it that way. So you think he... But that... Okay, so that's in... Yeah, I'm, with your I'm, point about her I'm marrying the sister. I'm very certain that they are not married. Interesting. Interesting. I like it. Did you not pick that up? Did, did uh, you have a different reading there? It, it feels very much like the bickering between a a married couple, right? Don't they talk about right. their son and stuff? Yes, that's yeah. the thing. That they had a child, but he wouldn't mm-hmm. leave his his other partner, his oh, wife. That's very possible. <clears throat> I just straight up missed it. Okay. Yeah, that's I mean that's the way that I talk that's the I don't know how to talk about a movie like this. Mm. Like at some level it's just about crying in the bathroom and putting on earrings and lipstick mm-hmm. and um trying to enjoy bad food because of good company like at some mm. level that's all this movie's about mm. yeah um yeah i don't know why i just thought about uh the idea of feeling original feeling like a unique person something about um how intentionally cliche so much of that second half is and how meaningful the last scene in particular feels Mm -hmm. um just feels very empathetic towards people who feel like they've had problems that resemble everybody else's problems um well i mean that's that's the title right it's certified copy it's it's a copy of all these things you've seen before but it's so elaborate and well done that it doesn't cheapen or lessen what's being communicated through the art yeah yeah i like that um it sounds like we both particularly liked the cafe scene. I actually thought that we would maybe share a favorite shot that was not during the cafe scene. Um, anything else come to mind that you would think I would guess you would like? <clears throat> I think you would guess that I love the entire bathroom scene with Juliette Binoche. That's fair, too. I was thinking of the initial car scene where the reflection of the buildings on either side oh, is yeah. so conspicuous in the uh the glass of the car i do love that shot that that's a great shot though that's definitely not my top shot my top shots are going to be in the cafe and that restaurant fair or enough, in fair the enough. cafe and in the restaurant because the way i said that sounds like they're the same yeah. thing yeah <laughs> um what else uh anything it, else come to mind i mean kiristami's hard that's what comes to yep. mind. I don't know how to talk about something so complex, mm-hmm. um, especially something that's so emotional um, and undefined. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that performance is everything and his performance as a director, which I will address in the third mm-hmm. film and the second film, I guess, are are what makes it equally as good as all those other things. Um, why don't we talk about your favorite scene now? Uh, well, I do. I'm. Oh, gosh, how do you not go with the, um, the the turning point in the cafe? Uh, just because we're, that's where the movie seems to just totally kind of reconfigure itself. Like if this is a Rubik's cube, that is where everything is suddenly turned and twisted. I do. I do really like that scene. Um, uh, but just to, just to maybe pick a different one. Um, I don't even know what to make of this shot, but there's a shot where they go into like a, a church to um, watch other couples having their wedding 
uh, photos taken. Mm-hmm. And there's a shot of just a random particular bride um, who looks so sad as she's about to have her picture taken. Or maybe just has, but she's crying, just sitting. It looks like she's waiting to be up next. Um, that shot has stuck with me for whatever reason. Uh, maybe just because it seems so um, kind of wrong that she looks so sad in this particular image. Um, so just one that hit me for whatever reason. What about you? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think the motif here is to say that my favorite scene is, and then give a different one. So I will say that my favorite scene is the scene in the cafe where Juliette Binoche is talking in f- Italian to mm-hmm. the woman who's working in the cafe about what a good husband is. Mm-hmm. Um, that is out of all those scenes in the cafe, that is the scene that is crucial, I think, mm-hmm. for the content of the film. And then I will say that um, my secondary favorite scene, um, and this is arbitrary because I could name five. I'm just going to pick the 25th frame for 24 frames, Do it. which is that ending when we see him shaving in the bathroom and he moves and then we see the bells ringing. Uh, and we have those three different things like before in the cafe where there's French, Italian and English being spoken. Now we're seeing three different meanings minimum for this bell, for whom the bell tolls, the wedding bell and keeping time. Mm-hmm. Good pick. Uh, let's get on to something even easier to talk about, which makes no sense. Close up. All right, Michael, this is a movie about what? Oh, come on. Don't do that to me. (laughs) I spiked the ball. It is. We're moving back in time. This one's from 1990. Uh, That's correct. Kind of a hybrid courtroom drama with some dramatization uh, of documentary footage. Um, uh, that was poorly phrased. There is uh, a combination of dramatizations and docu- actual documentary footage of courtroom scenes. Um, it is about a man who dupes a family into thinking he is a famed filmmaker. That's what happens, right? That is cheating, and I want you <laughs> to explain the content of the film for no one other than the listener, not for me, because I totally know what happened. I just want to mm-hmm. hear you say it first. <laughs> right. Um, no, this uh, is this is a tough one, right? Like this is an engrossing film to watch. It's a it's a very emotional film. The more it carries on, and the more we get to know. Um, Gosh, I'm forgetting. Mach Malbot is who he's pretending to be. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mach Malbot. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, mm-hmm. And then who's... What's his real name, though? Z- Zabzian. Zabzian, yes. So we're getting to know Zabzian, and um, that's... I mean, just getting to know him, it's complex. Do you ever feel like you got to know him? Well, I think that's maybe one of the questions is to what extent in this in the footage that is documentary of him speaking on his own behalf in court, to what extent is he acting versus is this the real Sobzian who 
just loves movies and wishes he was a filmmaker. And then I there's the question of, did Makhmobov tell Sabzian to do this, to cool. make a documentary about being caught doing this <laughs> that Abbas Kiarostami asked him to do? That's... That's a major conspiracy. I like it. But there's no proof that it's not true. That's the problem. Because <laughs> Mokmobov just shows up, right? Like, there's no reason for him to have shown up. Uh, at the Yeah, at the end. Yeah, um, like, did I miss something? Was there a line that explains why he showed up? No, I don't think so. I just, it just, I, I assumed he would have heard the story. He would have read the article. He just showed up like wanted the to boy this guy. and the wind will carry us. And then Perhaps. all of a sudden you're in a village. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do I feel like I got to know Sabzian? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, I do, I do feel like this is, um, I mean, I've always gotten the sense that this is one of his most acclaimed movies. His one of one of his most beloved movies, and it's partly just because of the cinephilia you feel in this guy um, that makes it kind of an obvious like cinephile favorite in a way. Um, I very, very, very much believe in everything he is saying when he's talking about how much film means to him and how desperately he wishes he could do what filmmakers do for him. Um, so. Yeah, I think in a way, I do get down with Sabzian. Okay. You not so much? Well, like I said, I don't know if he's performing or not. I believe that he likes cinema. But I don't know if he's being performative. I don't know if that's Mm. another level on the acting. Because I don't know where the conspiracy ends. Mm. Yeah, I mean... He knows he's being watched, and I think when we know we're being watched, we behave differently than we otherwise would. So I, I think there is just always some kind of. But then I mean, like, think it. about the beginning. Think about the introduction of the reporter. Mm-hmm. Before Sabzian enters the movie, but how are how are we seeing the reporter? Yeah, that was unclear to me if that was a dramatization, actually, or if that was real footage. I, I interpreted all of that as dramatization on Kiristami's part. I, I right? agree. Okay. But the I I mean it, it depends on how you do how you attempt to define how to understand this film at some <laughs> level. Be, because at some level I'm like if he knows that he's dramatizing it, then he knows that he's introducing a camera mm-hmm. observing someone. Mm-hmm. So if he's introducing a camera observing someone then is everything performative outside mm. the documentary aspect? And if it mm. is, then is it even real? Do we end it there? <laughs> Fair <laughs> question. I cannot answer that. Right? But. Well, like, who is the camera? Because we know who's taking the photos. Mm-hmm. We know who the policemen are. We know it's mm-hmm. a claimed documentary. But we never meet the person filming that part yeah um yeah it it is it is tricky to try and like map out the film in a certain sense but i just i I guess i feel like the point is that sort of regardless of what feels quote-unquote real to you there's still some some truth in it in um 100 yeah in in this guy's um Deep, deep appreciation of art. There's truth, rather. 
Yeah. But then there, I, I mean, for me, the, the deal is Sobzian could be performing at the same level the reporter's performing. Mm. That's not to deny that mm. they're doing their jobs, but there's mm-hmm. also a secondary level of performativeness. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, he might not talk about film even the same way if there were not a camera there. We don't, yeah, who knows? Um, but, the, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, he seems like a great cinephile hero in a way for having <laughs> so kind of deluded himself in a way to thinking that this could have like played out in any way that made sense or that would have like worked out like where, you know, in the world that he see this, this going. And yet you still just totally understand whether or not he's performing a little bit as he talks about it. The, the desire to, to, to do what you so appreciate in when you watch a film. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, this is, I mean, Kiarostami is one of the few directors that I've ever encountered where when I watch their films, I have so, I, I'm brimming with thoughts and feelings. And then when I try to make them coherent in any way, I feel stupid and like I'm incompetent and that it's just a waste of time almost. Yeah. Uh, th- as soon as you start kind of verbalizing some of it, you kind of feel like you're doing it a little bit of a disservice, you know, mm-hmm. where the, and you're the, losing it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, the more, thread <laughs> is coming out of the eye of the needle just by speaking about it. It's one of the, like you have to watch what we're talking about and then you have to ignore what we're talking about and listen to what your version is. Because mm-hmm. his films are some of the most personal films I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so much of the movie is about Sabzian's perspective, his kind of rationale, his struggle to explain his rationale for doing this. And there's something kind of funny to me about the family, you know, leveling this complaint about him having um, pretended he was a filmmaker mm-hmm. and wanting to imagining he could make a film of them and then Kiristami coming to them and saying i would love to recreate this and then being like okay let's make a movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this desire to both of people to, to both create or just participate in in the artistic process is something sort of um irresistible they're they're doing exactly what they they, they complaining this guy tricked them into doing yes um just kind of funny not only is it funny, it's the point. Yeah, yeah. It, the point is that um, all complaints leveled can genuinely, generally be fixed by someone coming in and profiting or making you feel the way that you thought you were going to feel by being the quote-unquote real deal. Mm-hmm. And then you wondering, like, well, if they would have just given the money to Sabzian, maybe they never would have been unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, the money stuff gets a little bit tricky. He accepts money from him at some point, and he kind of struggles to explain um, what was going through his mind. He actually took the money. That makes it a little more complicated. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how to map this idea onto specifics in the film, but just this general concern about he talks so much about appreciating this filmmaker for depicting his suffering, for, for depicting the suffering of the poor, and whether or not that, that that's something we can better get at via documentary 
or fiction versus something that is fake imagined, you know, it's just always just that's just kind of a, a never ending question that's super interesting that this film gets at in a way that I can't really articulate in a specific way, but that I found myself thinking about a lot, I guess. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to stop this. Um, so why don't you tell me your favorite scene? And then I'll leave our, our listeners with a quote from this film and we'll move on. Well, so much of what Zabzin has to say in the courtroom sequence is just like impossibly moving for anybody who loves movies. Mm-hmm. Those close-ups. Yeah, where well, he's 100%. empathetically just pouring himself out yeah um but the can the 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 early on before the courtroom stuff has really kicked off we we watched the taxi driver you know gently kick the can down the road Mm -hmm. kirasami just sits on it watches it roll down the road and then the punchline where the journalist is rushing around for a tape recorder and just punts it down the road you know well one well one person finds kind of significant or nice to look at another one just boots down the road i I don't know i cannot fit this into the broader theme of the movie but i like it i'm I'm going with that what about you yeah this is a weird one for me where i it's somewhere between form and content that my selection lives but it's that um that final drive scene where where we're looking Mm out the window and there's broken dialogue content and we're looking in the mirror. Just that documentary but simultaneously film aspect of of the content um, where the documentary content is kind of the audio be, being chunky and, and missing in certain places but also the feeling of the chase scene with the mm-hmm. great dramatic finale. Like there's just something about the, the feeling in the the text and the context that all comes together right there for that finale that I, I really like that little not chasing, but chasing because it's a documentary where you have to keep mm-hmm. up with your subject word. <clears throat> all right. To introduce a quote from this film before we move on mm-hmm. very briefly. Um, I don't know if it's Kiristami himself who says this, but this is what is said within the film. It could be by Sabzin himself. Mm hmm. Playing the part of a director is a performance in itself. To me, that is acting. Mm. Shall we discuss or leave it at that? Let's move on to The Wind Will Carry Us. Michael, The Wind Will Carry Us is a film about putting cell phone towers in cemeteries. The end. Sounds like a documentary. <laughs> like an instructional video, maybe? Uh, this one's from 1999. Jumping forward in time again. That sounds right. Um, if, if Certified Copy felt the most like a contraption to me and Close Up was... You know, this kind of docufiction hybrid, this felt the most fable-like to me. 
mm-hmm. that feel uh, at all like how it hit you? I would agree that it feels like a fable, but th- so this is a good time to say, I think that Kiristami puts himself in every mm. film. Mm. So while it feels like a fable, I feel like this fable has a main character that Kiristami imagines as himself mm. and um, voices his own, you know, timeless concerns with the nature of reality that because of the nature of the fable, the story is limited to the real experience of Iran in the 1990s. However, it speaks to something deeper that he senses, not only about himself, but humanity. So he's kind of a conduit. Yeah. Uh, I think self-awareness is a uh, part of all of these movies. And yeah, you could never accuse him of not being self-aware. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I'm not really familiar with his biography and he if he grew up in more of like rural Iran versus urban Iran, because I feel like that's part of the contrast of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would help me like even better understand if he sees some of himself in this man. Based on um, the content, I have to imagine he he grew up um, sorry, <laughs> urban um, just mm. through all three films. Right. Like mm. the main characters seem to be urban longing for rural mm. or like making their sojourns to rural areas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it felt the most, uh, yeah. Fable like, as I already said, there's also just kind of, uh, sort of some poetry in the, 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 the movement of characters throughout this movie. There's this kind of repetition in the oh, main there, character. There's a deep repetition with the main character interacting in that town. Yeah, uh, running back to the cemetery every time his phone rings to get a uh, signal. Um, there's kind of some some comedy in that to me. Um, and again, just sort of uh, clarifying him in, as this more modern figure in this very rural, traditional setting. Um, and it partly uh, reminds me of Taste of Cherry a little bit, which I won't talk about that much but um you know just the shots of this car on the road and these tracking shots of people walking through this village kind of speaks to this broader theme in his filmography to me about life not being a straight path more of a winding road with Mm -hmm. detours and stopovers and that kind of thing well that Um, raising dust cloud i mean visually that's i mean that's the visual ghost Mm. that is later given up right mm-hmm. like that there there's something not only fable like about that introduction there's something timeless about that introduction mm. right like if you go back to the 1200s and you're in the desert and you're looking at the horizon and you see dust clouds coming you mm. know someone's riding a camel or a horse towards you mm-hmm. and just that timelessness of communicating someone coming to a village mm-hmm. that, that's just that's deeply um valuable to me yeah yeah um yeah there's something about how really simple a lot of the pop mechanics here are but they kind of feel like these miniature adventures in a way like you know there's a good amount of time where he's just looking for some milk and he winds up in that kind of like cave like area that just feels suddenly otherworldly. Um, something about how this movie just seems to um, 
you know, find the profound and some really simple um, tasks. And I think that's part of what this movie is about. This modern guy finding the real meaning in the, in this, in the way that these people live um, that, that I, that I find very moving. Um, yeah. I agree. I'm going to introduce some dialogue sequences here mm-hmm. um, as I did for the last film, just to kind of get at that. The substantiveness of the content of speech in these films. So regarding the milk, he's, mm. he's standing in the graveyard. He's having a conversation with the man who's digging the uh, ditch. Mm-hmm. Who he comes to define it as when he's really digging a well for the cell tower. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says, after having a hard time getting the milk, even at the sea, there's no water for me. Mm. What beautiful poetry to introduce at the top of the desert mm. in a graveyard mm. beside a man digging a cell phone tower well. Later in the film, at the end, that man who he's talking to is buried alive. Mm. And he has to go tell his neighbors to help him. The um, the basic line that is told to a few different characters in that film is as follows. Sir, one of your neighbors is buried alive. That neighbor says, where? He says, up there in the cemetery. Just remove yourself and think about that line. Up there in the cemetery is where your neighbor is buried alive. The irony with the poetry Mm. is funny. The irony with the poetry was present in the first line. Because even at the sea, there is technically water. But there's no water without salt. So there's no water Mm. you can drink. So the irony is buried within the context of these Kiristami lines. And I think that that's not only present here, but within all of his his uh, filmography that I've seen so far. And it's just, it's so smart and it's so passive that you could just glance right over it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there is kind of a lot of irony here, just, you know, in the, the sheer fact that the one place he can get a signal, he can connect with the person he's trying to connect with is in the cemetery. Um, and that idea of, of, of being Which buried. is where they're putting the tower. Yeah. Um, uh, the idea of being buried alive. He never sees this guy in the well, but up comes a, a bone from from the well, this image mm-hmm. of, of death frying right into his face. Yep. Um, After he asks it, for it. it. He does, yeah. Um, but it's all, like, totally organic. Like, th- these sound like kind of heavy themes. It really just plays like him trying to get on a phone and then yelling at a guy in a well, like, what you doing down there? I, I, I think, like... It's the, extremely matter-of-fact. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes, like, that's just the difference between a good filmmaker and a great filmmaker is one who really makes it look easy and, and makes it play just totally natural and not mannered or, you know, contrived. Like, this is just, um, this is just happening and, and, and the ideas are, are, are still there. Um, yeah, I think I've never been quite so flabbergasted at the introduction to a, a, a filmography where it's just like, mm. not only is this a great filmmaker, it's not, it's one of the greatest ever filmmakers. Like this is in the tier of Hitchcock. This is in the tier of, um, Hawks. This is mm. in the tier of Pasolini. Like 
not only is this a great film, this is a great work of art. Oh, yeah. And um, his genre is a different genre than Hitchcock. But he clearly has his own beats. He clearly has what he's going to do. Maybe he's not going to reinvent cinema with his camera, but maybe he's going to reinvent cinema with the content of what the camera catches. Mm-hmm. And that's just as interesting, just in a different way. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been deeply moved by his films, one of which I, I rated, but I don't feel comfortable rating it. And mm. you can't change your letterbox ratings to not rated is stupid Mm. they should change that um but this one i i feel the urge to give it a a a five but also a four and Mm. everywhere in between like it's just i don't know how to finalize my emotions and these kiristami films are deeply emotional their their content while intellectual is not intellectually thought about by me the viewer it's felt yeah uh, yeah, you, you talk about not changing the letterboxed ratings. Like one of the ones that I have seen or that I am saying I have seen that we're not talking about Taste of Cherry is one I saw at SIF on a summer afternoon. We're 30 minutes into it. I went sound asleep. So after <laughs> rating, you know, after watching it, I'm like, question three stars, question mark. <laughs> so oh, we just heard for the first time, everyone, Michael is human. He does fall asleep in movies. I thought I was yeah. the only one in John Wick 3. I don't think that that movie is really a three-star movie, but it's probably I'll leave it not as is. based on the three movies we just viewed from Kiristami. Definitely not. Um, but yeah, yeah, th- thinking about all the shots of the, the the road in this movie kind of makes me think about just filmmakers we kind of think of as interested in the open road and that kind of thing. You know, I, th- I always think of uh, Vim Vendors as one I've heard described as a poet of the open road and these kind of feel like journeys to me you know certified copies more of a walk and talk but they take this long drive then they're meandering throughout a town and here we're um you know driving this winding path and we're watching for a lot of the movie just watching these two characters a man and a boy kind of walk throughout these the alleys of this village um which all just kind of speak to me you know uh or suggest to me that curious Tommy thinks of thinks of life as very as very winding in its progression I already kind of mentioned that but um that that seems like more of a kind of broader theme to me I guess across his work um, I, I would agree but with the road thing I I do find that interesting because while I feel like the substantiveness is there to claim this is a road film it it's a rogue road film in mm. which Every destination, you already know where you're going to end up until mm. the end, which you don't see. Mm. Right? Because he goes mm. to the hospital and you don't see that. But yeah. everything else is repetitive destination. Mm-hmm. And I love that introduction uh, where the boy is showing him where to go. And then the, the boy um, wants to leave to go get his book from the mm. car. And mm-hmm. he won't let him. And then at the end... The doctor asks him, why do you really want to go? Are you worried about your car or are you worried about um, the the fellow who fell down in the graveyard? And mm. uh, he doesn't answer. Mm. Yeah. It's it's that same repetition of meaning in life. It's, it's a different person it's happening to, but it's the same, even though it's different. And he's so good at showing mm. the same, even though it's different. Yeah. Um. 
favorite moments, shots, scenes that stood out? I will say that my favorite scene is him shaving. A shaving scene? Oh, okay. Because of an echo with certified copy? Did you kind of... I mean, there, there's that. that. I like that. But it's mm-hmm. the it's the close-up. It's the dialogue delivery, the cleverness mm-hmm. to, to shoot it without me seeing the reflection of the camera in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and have him carry on a conversation with her with his back to her where he's Mm. smiling and we get to see that that close-up great performative acting um where he's commenting kind of on the activities that a village gets up to in the middle of Mm -hmm. winter um different types of seeds are sown um in in the land at that time and just that the content of the speech and the delivery i i really liked it yeah yeah all the interactions within the village are pretty fun Um, how about you uh, my favorite shot, I think, is on his very first trip to the cemetery when he first realizes this guy's digging this well. Mm-hmm. Um, and as he's looking at the well, it feels very intentional to me, although it, play, it looks totally organic. He's looking into the well, but he's also, like, standing right above the village itself. It's like he's looking down on that village. Oh, yeah. He just looks like a giant in that shot. Um, and I don't think like the movie plays up his his ego at all or his his um, you know feeling that much better than any of these rural people. But I do think there is this kind of idea about um, the, the attitude of what an urban person might have towards um, rural lifestyle. You know, you get it kind of in the opening moments where they're heading towards the village and joking about having told the people or telling the people that they're there looking for treasure, mm-hmm. which is something you would tell a kid. And they do tell the kid that, but they're also sort of, you know, half joking about the people actually believing that's what they're there for. Yes. So this, this, this idea that um, there might be this inclination to kind of look, look down on these people. And, and I think his sort of expectations are kind of upended by the, by the beauty he kind of finds in this place. I think that that works very nicely. I agree. Um, building on, I, I guess, is there anything else you want to go over before we end it? No, go right ahead. Okay. So building on what you were saying about, um, what they were telling the, the boy and how they were making those jokes, I will introduce one last quote from this film about the context of, uh, telling a secret. Mm. So this is from our main character referencing the boy and his crew. Later, we told him a secret. When I was little, I felt the same. Whenever someone told me a secret, I always wanted to tell others. And in the end, I would. I think I enjoyed telling it more than I enjoyed keeping it. I think we're better off letting the movie speak for itself like that. Good call. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! And that's another one in the can. Quiero stami.